I'm really grateful that all of you made it here today. You know, the, a pastor's worst fear is snow and rain on Sunday mornings. So I'm grateful that you all made it out of your driveways and your developments and through the roads and that everybody was safe. And, you know, we're, we're blessed to live in this community. We're blessed to live in the country that we live in. We have so many freedoms in our country, so many people who, who sacrifice and serve for our freedoms. It is truly a blessing to live in the United States of America, though at times it doesn't always feel like we're that united. Sometimes it seems like we're more divided because of how we look at life, how we experience life, a lot of things. And I think one of the reasons why sometimes we don't feel so united is every state has some different laws. Not everything is universal. What may be allowed in one state may not be allowed in another state. And I think this can sometimes lead us to not feeling united. So let me just give you a few short examples of this. For example, did you know in Alabama, there is no bear wrestling? So if you were going to Alabama for a bear wrestling vacation, that's out. You cannot do this. How about this? In Arkansas, you can't honk your car horn in front of a sandwich shop. Again, very serious things that maybe in your state you could do that, but you can't do that in Arkansas. In Connecticut, you can't eat in your car, an actual law. Where do people eat then? Because like, that's the only place that sometimes you get to eat is in your car. How about this? In Indiana, you can't shoot fish in a barrel. Was this a problem that they had to make a law? I mean, was there really that much shooting of fish in barrels that was going on? How about this? In Missouri, you can't hitch a ride on a moving vehicle. So if a car is going down the road, you cannot run and jump on this and hitch a vehicle because that's illegal now. So be prepared for that. How about this? In Montana, you can't give rats away as a gift. I mean, who's given a rat as a gift and who's excited to get a rat as a gift? I guess that's my question. In New Hampshire, you can't steal seaweed. Why not? I, I think the more seaweed that is taken out of the ocean, I think the better. I don't know about that. In Oklahoma, you can't trip horses. Again, a huge tripping horse epidemic happening in Oklahoma. They had to bring a law into that. In Vermont, you can't have apple pie without ice cream. Right now, I agree with that one. That's, I think that's right. I mean, we can all agree that that one. And then my last one, it says, in Wyoming, you can't enter a mine when you are drunk. Again, a lot of drunk people just kind of wandering into mines up there, I guess. I, I, I don't know. And see, this is why we have this absolute no unity in our country. This is shattering the unity of America right here. Some laws like this. Now, these are silly and these are dramatic, obviously. But it goes to the point that sometimes we're just not united like we think we are. And when you lose your unity, you lose your purpose. We see this throughout church history. When the church was not united, it could not fulfill its purpose. So the question that we have to ask is, how do we stay united? Our theme for 2019 is invite and unite. Last week we talked about how to live an inviting life. So this week what we want to understand is how do we live a life that is united? So again, we're going to take a look at Philippians 2, 1 through 4. I want to encourage you, if you've brought your Bibles, open up to Philippians 2, 1 through 4. If you've got it on your phone, bring that up. Uh, we'll have it on the screen. Also, you'll notice there's handouts on your chairs. We're going to be using these throughout our time this morning. So I'd encourage you, grab a pen, write some stuff down here. So Philippians 2, 1 through 4 says this. Therefore... 
If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others." Again, just to give us context, Paul is writing to people that he knows, people that he's ministered to, people that he's ministered with, and Paul is lovingly reminding them of all of the things that unite them together as Christ's followers. He's trying to make sure that they remember those things that brought them together, that unite them as one, as people. And he's kind of really connecting back to verse 27 when he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Paul is saying, live a life that is united. And he is kind of reminding them that they are united. And they're not united because they all like the same kind of worship music or they all love the kids' ministry or they all love the youth ministry. They're united through their experiences with Jesus Christ. That's what unites them. And Paul lays out some things here. He says, you are united under the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God's love which comforts you. The sovereignty of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit which connects you. And the sovereignty of God's tenderness and compassion in your life. Do you know that in the Gospels, Jesus talks about unity almost more than any other topic? Listen to what he says here. He says, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you have loved me. And so Jesus talks about unity. Paul is talking about unity. And so the first thing we have to understand, the only thing that truly unites us is the sovereignty of God. And the first way that we are united under the sovereignty of God is the comfort of God's love. Have you ever stopped to think how much God loves you? I mean, can you even fathom in your mind how much God loves you? He loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. We can't even comprehend how much God loves us because our love has a limit. We can love people, but there's a limit. God has no limit in His love. There's nothing that God won't do to show you that He loves you. In fact, one of the most famous Bible verses there ever was, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave His Son to show you that He loves you. God sacrificed His Son because He loves you. That's how much God loves you. Would you ever give someone you love unto death so that other people could benefit? That's how much God loves you. Even while we were still sinners, it says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ died for us not when we were good, not when we were religious, not when we were nice. He died for us while we were sinners, while we were and are the hot mess that we are. 
while we keep messing up, while we keep failing, Jesus died for us. That's how much God loves us. That should unite all of us. All of us should be united under the sovereignty that God loved us enough to send his only son. We all have different views and different perspectives on things, but what Paul is saying is we are united under the love of Jesus Christ. And before we were Presbyterian or Baptist or Methodist or Lutheran or Catholic, we were sinners. And before we were a part of any denomination, Jesus died for us. That's how much God loves us. And what Paul is saying, if you've been comforted by the love of God, how could you not be comforted by the love of God? That while we were sinners, he sent his son. That he gave his son unto death for you and for me so that we could be comforted that we won't face the wrath of sin. Jesus will take that wrath of sin because we have been comforted by that. That unites us. Now, I've put a little handout on each of your chairs and what I want to encourage you to do is answer the questions. The first one is, how have you been comforted by God's love? See, we need to write these things down, not just think them, but we need to actually say them. And I want to encourage you, write these things down and then put this on your fridge. Put it on your fridge for at least one week and every morning just look at it. So it reminds us of what unites us. What unites us is that we've been comforted by God's love. The second thing that unites us under the sovereignty of God is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We sometimes think that we can get up and say, I'm going to choose to follow God today. You and I did not choose to follow God. God chose us. He chose us out of his sovereignty. He chose us out of his grace. The Holy Spirit that kind of works in us and kind of convicts us to say, I can't do life by myself. I can't solve my problems by myself. I'm not a perfect person. That's the Holy Spirit that is moving in us saying that you need Jesus. We don't act independently of God. God is sovereign. God is in control. God sent the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was ascending after his resurrection, he said, I will send you another, a helper. The Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us that is guiding us, that is making us more Christ-like. And when the Holy Spirit is in us, it unites us as a people. We have fellowship with God and fellowship with each other, not because of us, but because of God. As much as we like to think, well, we all just like each other in here. We do, but it's because the Holy Spirit unites us. The sovereign God of heaven unites his people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you are united to God, and when the Holy Spirit lives in you, it changes you. Remember Acts 2 and Pentecost? The Holy Spirit came and there were all types of diverse people there and God united them. There were multiple languages being spoken, but God united his people. And we read this in Acts 2. It says this. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Do you think that a group of people could just be together and have everything in common and the Holy Spirit not be involved? There's no way. There's no way that a group of people could all be together and just get along without the Holy Spirit there. We have fellowship with God because of the power of the Holy Spirit and it changes us. 
It got everybody here to get up on a snowy day and to shovel their driveways and to go through unplowed roads to come. Because why? Because we want to worship God. We want to be together as a people. That is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that is moving in each of us. So the question is, how are you going to unite to the fellowship of God through the Holy Spirit? That's our second question. And the third thing that Paul is, is lovingly reminding the Philippians that unites them as a people in their shared experiences with Christ is they have experienced the tenderness and the compassion of God. And do you know how you can summarize tenderness and compassion? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. God was tender and God was compassionate to forgive you and I of our sins. We, we're guilty. We deserve the wrath of God because we're not perfect. We all mess up. We all say the wrong things. We all do the wrong things. And yet God was tender. God was compassionate that God forgave us through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's what unites us. What unites us in here is Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And trust me when I tell you, the line forms behind me when it comes to falling short. But because God is tender, because God is compassionate, God forgives us. And that's what unites us. It unites us above anything else. He unites us because we've been comforted by His love, because we have fellowship through the Holy Spirit, because we've experienced forgiveness. Think about King David. David slays Goliath. David becomes king. David is God's guy, right? And then when he's supposed to be out leading the military, he's up on a roof and he sees a woman, Bathsheba. And he calls for her and he lays with her. And she becomes pregnant. And so her husband, Uriah, comes home and then David thinks, i got to cover this up, so I'm going to put Uriah on the front lines of the war. And Uriah goes on the front lines of the war and he's killed. So David has committed adultery. David has committed murder. And yet God said, I'm going to love you and forgive you. And David says this in Psalm 103. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. David messed up big time, but God wasn't done with him because we know that Jesus comes from the house of David. David so messed up, but God's compassion, his love, his tenderness is bigger than our mistakes. I don't know about you, but I make a lot of mistakes and I've made big mistakes and I can beat myself up for those mistakes, but you know who's not beating me up? God. Because he's tender and he's compassion. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. I love every time I see a story on the news and they always reference the Good Samaritan. Oh, a Good Samaritan helped this person. Oh, a Good Samaritan helped that person. And I think, do people even know that story? You know, a man was, was going down and he was jumped and he was beaten and he was stripped and he was left for dead. And here comes a priest, a priest. And a priest goes, sees him and goes, hey, that's not my problem. And walks to the other side. And then here comes a Levite. A real religious person, too. And he says, oh, that, that, that's not my problem. I'm not going to do it. And then a Samaritan who was hated by the Jews. The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And here's a Samaritan that comes over, and, and, and he binds him up, and he, and, and he takes care of him, and he takes him to a place, and he wants him to get better, and he comes back the next day, and he tells the innkeeper, whatever this guy needs, put it on my tab. That's what God did. God said, put it on my tab. 
I'll send my son to pay for their sins. See, what unites us is the sovereignty of God as he comforts us in his love through his tenderness and compassion, through our fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So the question is, how are you going to unite with the tenderness and compassion of God? See, what unites all of us in here is the sovereignty of God. And so when Paul says here in verse 1, therefore, he's going backwards to verse 27 of chapter 1, that we live a life that is united in oneness. And then he changes in verse 2, and he says, then... See, therefore looks back, then looks forward. And if you look throughout Scripture, every time there is an act of God's sovereignty, there is a human responsibility. God is sovereign in our lives, but that sovereignty means that we are called to respond. We have a responsibility to God's sovereignty. We don't just sit back and say, all right, God, you are sovereign, and I have no responsibility. I don't have to respond to that. Because when we are united to God, we have a responsibility. And the first thing that it says is we need to be united in how we think. You may say, well, wait a minute. How are we all supposed to be united in how we think? We think differently. We think differently about sports, about art, about music, about politics, about life. We can think differently about all kinds of things. But the one thing we cannot think differently on is the Word of God. See, that's what unites us, that we are united, that the Bible is the inerrant word of God, that every word of this is true. Everything about it is authentic. Yes, there were human authors, but they were inspired divinely by the Holy Spirit. And this is what unites us. It is the word of God. It's got to be what informs us. It's got to be what shapes us. It's got to be what, what molds us on how we make decisions and how we think. Timothy says it like this. He says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible will equip us. It will instruct us. It will be everything to us. This is what unites us to say, how do we make decisions? We are united around the word of God. See, because when we are united around the truth of Scripture, when we are molded by the truth of Scripture, not only are we united, but we become so inviting. We become so inviting to people when they know that we are about the Word of God. So it's a mindset. What Paul was saying is you are united to God under His sovereignty, and your responsibility is to be united through the Word of God and have the right mindset. Think of it like this. Paul says this in Romans. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. What shapes your thinking? What informs your thinking? If the only time that you are hearing the Word of God is on Sunday mornings, then you are not united with God in His Word. You can't just be on Sunday mornings. You've got to be in God's Word every day, and God's Word's got to be in you every day, because when we as a people are united with the Word of God, and we understand that His sovereignty means we have responsibility, we will be able to be more inviting. So here's the question to fill out on your cards. How will you unite with the Word of God? 
daily devotionals, daily readings, being in a life group. How will you do that? The second thing that Paul says is that we need to be united in love. And that word love is, is like so big and is so broad that people say love, they throw it around all the time. But the word love here has many meanings, and one of the words uh, for love is agape, and that is a love of choice. Love is not an emotion. Love is a choice. We choose to love people. There are no perfect people in here. Parents aren't perfect, your spouse isn't perfect, your kids aren't perfect, your pastor isn't perfect, nobody's perfect. But we choose to love people despite their imperfections. Love is a choice. Sure, we are attracted to people and we love people from our heart, but we choose to love people despite the fact that they're not perfect. But we become selective on who we love. Some people we choose not to love because they think different, they act different, they live different than us. Then we are not united to the love of Jesus. Think about who Jesus loved. Jesus loved all people. He had dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes because he loved people more than he, than he loved their sin. He said, I know they're sinners, but they're created in the image of God. Think of what Jesus said. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. By this, people will know that you are my disciples. People know that you're a follower of Christ by how you love them. Not of, here's where I go to church, or here's what I believe. People know you love Jesus when you love them. And Paul talks about love. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Love changes people. Love will change people quicker than any kind of biblical passage, any kind of sermon, any type of message. When we love people and we are united, saying we're going to love all people and we don't have any qualifiers on that, not only do we become united, but we become so inviting to people. If we're going to invite and unite in 2019, we need to be united and say, I'm going to love like Jesus did, sacrificially. And I don't care who it is, and I don't care what they've done. I'm just going to love them. So do we choose to love all people or just certain people? The question is, how will you unite with the love of God? And the last thing that Paul says is that we need to be united in purpose. So what's the purpose? What purpose is Paul talking about? Is he saying, we need to be united and build the biggest church ever. Have the biggest building and, and the biggest music ministry and kids coming everywhere. We need to be, have the biggest thing. That's not, that, that's not the mission. That's not the target that we're called it. Jesus makes it very clear what the target is here in Matthew 28. He says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. The target is the kingdom. The target is not to build the church. Our goal is not to bring people to church. Our goal is to bring people to Jesus. The church is a part of that process, but it is not the end part of that process. It is just another part of the process that God uses. But our charge is to be united in the purpose of making disciples. 
That's why our life group study is called Multiply with Francis Chan. It's about discipleship. That is the purpose that God has given his church. It's not to build the church and say we need to have a big this or a big that. It is to see people transformed by the redeeming love of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of the church. That's what unites us. We talked about, you know, the beginning of this year of knowing the target and then hitting the target. If everybody is united in purpose to say our mission from God is to hit the target of discipleship, then we're going to hit it. But if we've got everybody shooting at a different target, we're not uniting and we're really not inviting. Paul was reminding the Philippians, you have a responsibility because of God's sovereignty, which united you through his love, through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, through the tenderness and compassion. We are called as the body of Christ to be united in thought, in love, and in purpose. So the question is, how will you unite with the kingdom purpose of God to make disciples? How are you doing that? What steps are you taking? That's the last space on your sheet. And if you didn't fill it out this morning, that's okay. Fill it out today and put it on your fridge. Studies show that when you write things down, you are more likely to do them. That if you don't write them down, you're more likely not to do them. Write this down and say, I want to make sure that I am fulfilling my responsibility to the sovereignty of God. I want to make sure I understand how I am so united to the body of believers in this church and every church around the world throughout the ages, not because of, of, of music or, or messages, but because of God, because of his sovereignty, the comfort of his love, the tenderness, the, the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It's called koinonia. That fellowship is deeper than everybody getting together to watch their favorite team. It is deep and it is real. And that's what we're trying to build. So I want to encourage you. I want to lovingly, I want to challenge you. Take these sheets home, fill them out, put them on your fridge and say, here are the steps I'm taking to unite with God's kingdom purpose. And it not only will it change other people, it will change you. It will change you as a person. I promise you that if you commit to invite and unite in 2019, not only will God transform this community, he will transform you and you'll be changed. I'm going to ask our worship team to, to come back up and I want to give you some things to, to just think about for a second. What unites you to God? Is it church? Is it religion? Is it my kids in like the youth ministry? My kids like the children's ministry? What unites you with God? Is it tradition? Or is it that I know that God loves me? I know that I can have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. I know that God's forgiven me. What unites you to God? Number two, do you accept what it means to be united to God? Do you accept that there's responsibility to God's sovereignty? That God is sovereign. God has chosen you, loved you, forgiven you. Do you accept that? Yes, I have a responsibility to respond to that. And that's to unite to God through his word and being like-minded around scripture. That I'm to unite to God through his love. And I'm going to love everybody. I don't care who God brings in my life. And I'm united in the kingdom purpose of God to make disciples. And number three, will you live united? Will you live united with God? 
Will you live united with his people to say, I know what God has done, what unites me to God, and I know what God has called me to do to unite with others to go out and invite and unite. Again, I'd encourage you as as the worship team plays this song, take some time. Reflect on these questions. Don't just stick this in your Bible or throw it out when you get home and say, I'm going to actually do this. I'm going to write this down. I'm going to put this on my fridge. I'm going to put this on the mirror in my bathroom because I want to live out the gospel. I want to to be faithful in what God has called me to. It will draw you closer to God, deeper in love with God. Amen.